Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello out there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today we will be talking to Sergeant Christopher Smith-Hughes, who is in charge of increasing minority police officer recruitment for the city of Columbus. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a conversation. It's a really important one. And it's officers in your position are unique I always thought because you become kind of a the chief is supposed to be the public face of Mm -hmm. the department Mm -hmm. but you kind of become a public face right because you're out your job is to go and get people interested in becoming an officer so you've got to be out there put yourself out there right yeah yeah I I definitely do I'm from Columbus I'm a Columbus kid Uh, grew up on the east side of Columbus uh, with my mom and my brother my dad worked for Parks and Recs and uh, Franklin County Children's Services for 20 years for both jobs so I've been to every rec center in the city wrestled basketball basketball, dodgeball, everything. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, uh, Eastern Salesian Boys and Girls Club, East Side and West Side. So where'd you graduate from high school? I actually graduated from St. Charles. Okay. Um, yeah, I was uh, went to Gladstone for uh, elementary school, which uh, began the Spanish immersion program okay. in Mifflin and then miraculously ended up at St. Charles and was thankful for that education there. So it sounds like your family is a family of public service. Yeah. Definitely public servants. Both of my grandfathers were in the military. I didn't learn of that until uh, college, though. Okay. Um, my grandfather, um, on my mother's side, he was in the Navy. Okay. Um, and then uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was an Army vet. So it was cool to find out that I had, you know, those uh, connections. So talk to us about when was the first time you gave the thought of becoming a police officer? To be honest, it wasn't until after 9-11. I was a sophomore. I was going into my sophomore year at OSU. I'm a Ohio State Young Scholar, so I was going into that, and it happened during our break. I was actually going to drop out of school, join the Navy. I told one person, my brother, and he told my mom. So (laughs) before I got a chance to get back to the recruiter, she got a hold of me and said, hey, listen, you're the first person in the family to get an academic scholarship, so go ahead and finish. And if you feel the same way, go for it. That led to meeting Commander Denton. He was a commander for the Division of Police. He came to an event at my church, St. Peter's back then in uh, Linden. And he came to our group of uh, 20-somethings and was like, hey, you know, this is the task. If you were to fix crime in the Linden community, you know, what would you do? And I wrote like a two-page essay and gave it to him. And he said, have you ever thought about being a police officer? Mm. I said, no. In my neighborhood, you know, we see the police, but if it's if they're there, you know, based on what mom or them saying is you're not supposed to be there because you're not involved. Mm. So, you know, I never had the whole no snitching thing or nothing, but I just knew that if they was there, I wasn't supposed to be there. Not to say that anybody was good or bad, but that's what it was for me. So 
when I talked to Commander Denton, though, he kept talking to me. He kept connection with me. And then one day uh, while I was sitting in church, one of the parishioners who also was like a big brother to me, he came up to me. And he was like, hey, man, you should think about getting you one of these. And he was in the Air Force and um, I looked up to him and he showed me a Columbus police badge. And I was like, yo, yeah. That validated it for me because mm. he's okay. from, he's from Linden. He went to Linden High School, and everybody knew him. And then he was a police. So that officer. was a big moment. Oh yeah, that was huge for me. I had already started the process, and um, when I saw that, I was like, "I'm making the right move." You know, if you could go back at the time when you started telling some of your friends about this, you know, what was the reaction? Well, my real friends stayed, and then my friends that weren't friends left. Okay, I guess um, it was an eye opener for me. Because I didn't know that the division would be so strong. I still reach out to some of them occasionally. And they're, you know, it seems like they're more proud of me than not proud. But at the time that I made the decision, there was definitely a, some divisions made. So, I mean, it was tough to get to that realization. But I always knew in my heart that I was making the right decision for me and my family. And they weren't paying my bills. So, yeah, you know, let's go. You know, that's what I was thinking the whole time. And this was prior to a lot of the sort of the police involved shootings that, that we've been having recently. So the people that weren't supportive, was it because they felt like cops are just the enemy or they felt like somehow you had betrayed the community? Like, did they? Well, I'll be honest was with problem? you. I, that, that was the question I asked. I always was the type of person that wanted to do the right thing. You know, I, I got jumped when I was 12 by some gang members. I fought back, though, because I got two goat and glove uncles. So, they, you know, they mess with you and get you ready. But those are the type of things that I didn't want that for anybody in my community. You know, just I guess to answer your question, I used to ask the question, like, so why'd you just fall off? Like, what happened? Why we, you know, why are we not cool or what was going on? And they like, you know, we still cool. I mess with you, but I don't mess with them. And that was the sentiment that I've gotten all along. You know, and that would elicit more conversation for me, though. I'd be like, okay, but if you're not giving people a chance, then how are they going to give you a chance? So can we go back a second? The Golden Gloves, the uncles, the Golden Glove boxers. Yeah. Did you hang around with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were you in? No, I wasn't a boxer, though. I played basketball and wrestled. Okay, so so you want to know part of boxing. No, no. I mean, I I had to. But boxers boxers are usually kind of, they're not afraid of confrontation. They're not afraid of having these kind of sensitive conversations. So did that help you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my family are, you know, some leaders um, in one way or another. Like, you know, they were doing public service. So, I mean, I think it's internal. You know what I mean? So and then you encounter lots of different scenarios in life where you have to either step up or, or fall back. And I've, I feel like I'm a consistent stepper upper. I like to volunteer when nobody volunteers. And I think there's a lot of police officers that fit that mold as well. They want to support and, and be a part of the community and uplift the community. I'm sorry, I got off. But no, that's the, the Golden Glovers, they were, you know, Golden Gloves through like the rec centers. And, cause, yeah. you know, Barrick did the boxing and they both were really good. So they would just mess with you, you know, how yeah, uncles sure. do, your, you know, get you ready and you don't even know you're getting ready. So that's what that was. So to Scott's question, you know, one of the there are many social factors that go into, you know, what's going on between policing and the community. And, and it's happening here in Columbus, too, where you have calls of, you know, that, that there need to be significant changes. And one of those things that this city is trying to do it's trying to create a more diverse police force yeah absolutely now i covered city hall for five years starting in 2011 i don't anymore Mm. and this was a problem that even predated me it's 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 been a problem for decades now and this is a department that is still 
well below what the census says the the community makeup is. There's 40% minority here, but you know the police force is around 20% minority or women, and so this is a tough lift. Right. And I know there are a bunch of factors as to why it's a tough lift, but I wonder at the bare minimum, is it just trying to convince people to do the job? Is that the hardest part? I don't say it's about convincing people. I think that if this is something you want to do, then you're going to try to do it. If I'm trying to convince you to be a a radio host or a a dispatch person, that's going to be hard because this has got to be something you want to do. And but somebody, if I could, somebody convinced you because initially this wasn't part of your thinking. So it took those those two officers that you mentioned to absolutely. And and that's and that's where we that's where I come in. So there's a lot of things that we're doing as a police department and specifically from the recruiting unit that are we're kind of injecting ourselves into different facets of the community. We're in Bigs and Blue where we do a mentorship in different and actually a Yorktown Middle School right now. We're trying to relift the pile. Now, it's not police, but it's Porter Athletic League. That's held over at Crumb Park Rec Center where we're working with nine to 12 year olds. We also have our Explorers Unit where post 222 where youth from ages 14 to 20 can essentially come out to the academy and learn how to be police officers held every Monday and Wednesday night. I mean, there's so many things. We have TAPS Academy where we go out to different middle schools and hold 10-week programs, you know, just to talk about different things that youth are facing. I mean, so there's a lot of things going on and we're trying to make that more visible. And then for people who want to be, who are of age to sit for the test, we're just trying to build more relationships because you have to have a foundation. And one thing that we're trying to do is trying to change how the culture is looked at and change the culture while doing that. So you have to have the community to want to come and do that. Now, I agree with you. You do have to have people that encourage you to do it because for me, especially, that was important. However, you have to have an intrinsic push as well to want to do it yourself. So I got to a point for me when I saw that it validated my intrinsic thoughts. So so just the numbers. So we reported back uh, in the winter and I don't think it's changed significantly that there are about 1,544 officers, less than 200 of them are minorities or women. I know there was a recruit class that graduated in the summer, and that was one of the most diverse classes that the department had in a while. So it seems like there are improvements being made. And some of the other factors that I know in reporting on this is, you know, departments don't dedicate a ton of resources to doing this. Departments compete for recruits, especially minorities and women, if they hear someone's interested. I know there's competition. And also, is this your full-time thing? Like, is this all you're doing? Yes. And yes. so how many officers are in your department doing what so, you do? So right now, it's uh, it's myself. I'm the supervisor for the, the sergeant for the recruiting unit. I also have Officer James, Officer Yandrich, Officer Jackson, and Officer Westbrook. So there's five of us. So what do you think is the biggest hurdle for this? For just getting uh, more yeah, minorities? I, mean, I know it's like, you know, it takes a, the hiring process is kind of a lengthy one compared to if you just wanted to go out and get a job right. in a private sector. You know, the turnaround time is right. a little, like, but now you're on the inside. So right. what is the, what do you think is the biggest so, hurdle? So I think that a lot of it is, like you said, turnaround time is tough. The test is a little tougher than people, uh, you know, initially think. And I think that I guess one of the hurdles is, like, 
like you said, just wanting to do it. We have a lot of people sign up for the test, but then they don't show up. That's one of the things I found out coming into this position, and it kind of shocked me. Even some of the people that I specifically talked to and and was like, hey, you know, our sign-up time is this time. This is how the process works, and I tell them all the benefits and all the, you know, you can get 100 percent tuition reimbursement what the hourly wages are and then they just don't show up and then I call them like hey so what happened and a lot of times it's oh well I got another job oh well you know I decided after seeing this event I don't know if that's something I really want to do so a lot of it comes down to the candidate and I mean but it's tough though it is tough and that, that is a hurdle that I'm seeing obviously there's other hurdles what's the conversation you have with black and brown potential recruits who you know they may have a negative perception of the police department or maybe they had a negative experience in the past like how do you how do you have that conversation well i usually kind of talk to them and tell them like you know the reason that you should be this is, is you should have a seat at the table you should be an officer making the decision you know there's a lot of people that are upset that these things happen However, when you ask them, hey, would you want to do it? Do you want to come and, and, and do what I do? Nah, nah, that's not for me. Nah. Well, why not? And I always ask that question. I push the envelope. Sometimes I get a elicit a positive response and sometimes not. But I really want people to understand that we want people, representatives from every walk of life to be police officers because there's a seat at the table. You have you have your input. That's that's of all walks of life. So I understand why everybody wants diverse candidates. I am a I am a diverse candidate and I have a different view, you know, but ultimately we do want safety. We want protection. Everybody wants that in their community. So and then also uh, when you talk about communities like Columbus is one community. Now there are, you know, different races and genders and ethnicities and and religions and whatnot, but we're all one community. So we want to strive for that, you know, spirit of service. And then we had the pride and the protection. So that's kind of. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one thing we've talked about is, you know, sometimes what gets lost in discussion and it's an emotional discussion, especially when you're talking about shootings and, and, and young black men getting killed. I mean, there's, and rightly so, but what gets lost in it sometimes is the police, you need the police. Right. I mean, and and I Mm -hmm. think, you know, there's a stereotype and, you know, I'm a white guy, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, both of you. But you know that if you're black, you're automatically anti-police. And I and I, what I've learned is in having conversations with, especially some black community leaders, is that they appreciate the police. And that's a narrative that kind of gets drowned out in this. And the one thing that you and I have talked about is, cop. You have to know a lot to be a cop. Right. There mm-hmm. are a ton of laws, mm-hmm. ton of regulations, and they keep changing. And they change. And so. Sometimes I think that that's that gets lost in the discussion. Right. Well, I mean, I agree with that. And I also agree with with the department stance that you want quality candidates. And so if you can't pass the test, then I don't think you should be a cop. Now, I, I don't know if there's some, you know, it's possible that some of the the criteria that you have to meet from what I know, it doesn't sound like any of those are like race specific or anything. But, you know, in terms of kind of to to tie into both of your points is that basically I I think the message is that it's for the black community especially is if you want to improve these relations you have to be willing to to be part of the solution and not you know just say well yeah I don't I don't really like cops but I also don't want to be part of changing the look in the face of the department Mm -hmm. so and that even means that sometimes that may mean that some of the hurdles that you have to meet to to do that like I don't know maybe maybe we should take a look at that I would be curious do you feel like the recruiting minorities 
it's different than the approach you would take if you were just recruiting a white officer? I'll say no. And this is just this is me because, you know, I got into this job in, in January. Um, I've always encouraged everyone if you're because people usually come up to us and say, hey, I'm interested in, in becoming a police officer. How do I do that? And I've been having that since I started in 2000, you know, 2005 and got on the street. And, and, and then I've always had people come up and be like, hey, how do I get into this? Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them the same thing. I tell them the process, how I went through. I share my story with them. And when you share your story, that's how you build relationships. Because obviously you're going to listen too, right? So that's key. You have to hear to and and hear what people are saying in return, and then how do I help them? And I'm sure you've had these confrontations, and you could probably pluck out you know a handful of them right now. When you're dealing with this mentally, mm-hmm. I'm sure it weighs on you so- sometimes. Someday, especially yeah. who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Where, where where is your salvation to try to make sense of it? So I pray a lot, and then I also uh, I talk to my mother and my wife, uh, n- not in that order. Okay, uh, <laughs> I get that. I also speak to my um, uncles, my pastors. But I'm sure do some of them say sometimes like, man, I don't know. Yeah, no, often they go. This is they, I mean, are I, you like the spokesman in your family for police? I mean, do you have to be that? No, do you get put in I, that position. So when I joined this position, I found out that there were two other police officers that were cousins of mine. And they've mm-hmm. been very, they're they're senior to me. I've, um, but they've been very instrumental, but they're very behind the scenes. They're very behind the scenes. Everybody in the family knew. But I think what happened is they didn't want that to push or pull away my decision. So when I did get in the department, I found out and I was like, wow, how come I didn't notice? Yeah. yeah. And everybody knows now that what I do in my family. So it's actually a lot of support and they defend a lot of things. But then when when a shooting happens or whatnot, they the first people to call me like, hey, explain this to me. And I've gotten into a lot of I got into some conversations, but I always try to keep my cool with them because, you know, one thing that I've learned or over time is to have empathy, like good leaders have empathy. So you can put yourself in that family's position and not make a judgment. Just understand that this is how they are releasing that grief, that anger, that, you know, that confusion. This reminds me of the Buddhist conversation we had with Remember, He was he was talking about putting people in a position of having empathy and sympathy for right. them like it's it's that approach if you can just imagine that person in a loving sympathetic situation right instead of always viewing them as the enemy right my help i mean that's kind of what you're talking about yeah. right yeah and, and you can't view anybody as always the enemy because then you'll have a skewed view of life in general yeah. so Do you feel torn in those situations where you have an officer involved shooting of a black man specifically and your family's calling because i know you know cops have loyalty amongst their ranks, right? And then you're at the same time you're an African American man, so I'm sure you have some some sensibilities when it comes to that. So, like, how do you how do you walk that line? It's a tough it's a tough line to walk. For me, I see both sides, so I'm consistently seeing both sides. So, when an African American male person child is shot, I grieve for the family. My, you know, I've gone home with my, you know, the scene my wife and kids in tears because of the situation and the thing is is that i i understand and i empathize with the family the situation that went down but i also see it from the policy and then the perspective of the officer and i don't monday morning quarterback because i don't know what i would have done in that situation and it's just a tough position because guess what that officer and their family is now about to go through a lot of things too and that officer was doing their job in their mind 
And I cannot judge that person by that situation Um, because, again, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I would have talked. Maybe I would have pulled the trigger. I I don't know. But again, like I said, I can empathize with, you know, the families who lost because I am a black man. I am an African-American man. And that will not change. We've had people come on the show and there's been calls in community that that CPD is racist. Yeah, I, I disagree. Okay, so what? And I'm sure you probably that question's that been put being, to you. That being said, if you're in the community and you've had a, a consistently negative relationship, of course that's what you would believe. I can see that. However, that's not the consensus of all people. I mean, historically, we know there's been some 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 nasty things. That well, Sharon, since the implementation of body cameras, we've seen it in front of our faces and and again so when we think about the media and what and whatnot there's things that are skewed too so if you constantly seeing people getting shot then that's what you're going to think is 99 percent of the things going on but if you're seeing the good things that you know officers are doing or or people are doing then you're going to think that's the consensus so it also how does the media want to do what they do today or tomorrow or the next day? If you consistently keep seeing it, then that's what you're going to think is the norm. But when you think about it, how many interactions do police officers have with the community where nobody gets shot? A yeah, lot. they happen hundreds a day. Right. Thousands. I'll say, I'll okay. say higher. Thousands than. a day. But I mean, like I said, I empathize with both. And it's hard. It is a hard. I, it's a balance that is a struggle. And this but is it's what doable. makes this your job a heavy lift. Is yeah. that it, there's a lot going on 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 all fronts. Yeah, but very doable. I mean, for me, I'm a positive person, so I'm gonna inject that positivity into it. I'm going to tell you the good things about the job. However, there are tough times as well, and you got to recognize that going into this job. One of the theories I think behind more minority officers is because I think in, in some of these situations, especially in a black community, people get the the feeling that when an officer is in a situation with a black male and it's a white officer, they feel exceptionally threatened, more threatened than they would if the individual was a white person. And so that's how you get in these situations where they think the suspect has a gun or they say the suspect and it turns out that that's not the case. And so the theory goes, if you have another black officer, they, because they may be able to empathize with this individual or they may not feel as threatened because it's not a a cultural racial thing that maybe that'll kind of help curb this trend of officer involved shootings or whatever or just confrontations or just confrontations do you believe that do you i mean while you're out trying to recruit these black officers are you ultimately thinking that if when they're out they're out in the field they're on the streets that maybe because of their experience that'll somehow cut down on the amount of no i don't know i do think that having additional perspectives and having i guess like the conversational tools to assist people as you can see i mean we're having a lot of mental illnesses and a lot of different things going on a lot of times you need to elicit more conversation more conversation brings more understanding cultural awareness things of that nature so i don't know that it would curb the shootings i don't know there's i mean we we speak in a lot of i guess futuristic talk which i can't determine what the future is going to be whenever the police show up and there's a gun involved or a weapon involved everybody's on heightened and the thing is is that we got to remember that people call these in we don't we're not just showing up like hey this person has a gun right so there's a lot of scenarios like i said in, in recruiting more women more minorities you have different perspectives brought to the table and i think that is key to 
increasing our diversity within the ranks. We also work closely with Office of Diversity Inclusion and just bring more because we're in competition with not just other police departments, but other companies as well. Other companies sure. in, in, in the, the country are facing the same situation. So and these companies have a huge budget to go and recruit these right. folks. So, so if I'm thinking about this and something, it may be something I want to do. What do I need to do? Like, what are the first couple steps that I need to make sure, you know, that I have an order to start this process. Okay. You know, do I need a high school diploma? Yes. Do I, okay, do yeah. I have to have yeah. so, some So our minimum qualifications are you have to be uh, 20 years old to sit for the exam. You have to have a, a valid driver's license. You have to have your high school diploma or GED and be a U.S. citizen. So those are our four minimum qualifications. You also can't have a felony. I mean, hopefully a lot of people already know that. And then you have to have a desire to want to do this. And then you have to get yourself in shape as well. I mean, a desire can be many things. I mean, right. a lot of people associate cops with, you know, you're running down people and you're walking into a And, and there there is a lot of that. But yeah. also, I mean, I don't know if you ever thought you would be maybe sitting in this position when you first entered the academy. But this is. A, Did you volunteer for this position or no? Actually, you had you. We applied and then there was a test like a like a multifaceted test. So, so. there are other things that if you just want to serve yeah. the community, you don't no, necessarily no. do. We, we what, offer what a lot think. of uh, like. So all the things that I try to get involved, I I'd send out division emails to say, hey, these projects are available. If you are interested in being a part of them, contact me. So everybody gets the information because you can't force people to do things. Sure. So we, you know, offer these opportunities. What's the base salary of an officer? Do you know that? Yes, I do. It's uh, about fifty three nine. Okay, so that I mean that's that's and a then good... after after four years it, it increases to eighty two five. So after forty eight months, it's a you're making eighty two five. You also have after a year of service, you qualify for one hundred percent tuition reimbursement. Our medical benefits, healthcare, vision, dental, all of those are you know very great programs. And then there's overtime. There's special duty. There's volunteer opportunities. I mean, there's so many things you can do. And like our key is to, to serve and protect our community, you know. So and then we do it with our core values. So before I let you go, um, you just were presented with an award, the Health Hero Award for your service to the community and working with kids on and off the court. I was just curious to your thoughts on that? I was, you know, very humbled to receive that award, the uh, um, Health Hero with, through the African American Wellness Walk Initiative. You know, I guess some, some people on the panel recognize that, you know, I'm out here. I've been out here since I was a little boy um, participating in, in rec programs, just trying to be a, a great example for, you know, good health. We do the, the basketball boot camps with the Columbus Public Schools. Myself and Officer James started that up a while ago and just kind of bring the boys in and the, and the girl. We got girls teams now and, you know, walk them through what leadership is. Talk about citizenship, what your rights are. We put them through a scenario to see what they would do and discuss it. And then we do our basketball drills where, you know, we kind of prep them and, and, and then also do some of our recruit drills with, you know, push ups, sit ups herpes, all of those stuff, how, 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 do you, our course. how does someone get their child in, involved in what you're talking about? Well, we uh, right now we're we're uh, doing it. So we've reached out to the ADs and the head coaches for different Columbus Public Schools. Okay. Uh, so you're doing teams. it through the schools. Yes, we're doing okay. it through the schools. Okay. Uh, Columbus, Columbus, That's C awesome. Columbus City Schools, not Columbus Public. 
they change the name. And then at the end, we hold like a dialogue portion. So we'll feed we'll feed them, you know, donated meals. And right now, uh, Chick-fil-A. So there's and, some and, fellowship. That oh, goes absolutely. On. Yeah, you have to have that because I want to know what's going on in your school or what you have mm. going on that you want to talk about. Food will get kids to open oh, up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I get people to open up in general. <laughs> sure, yeah, I mean, they get me yeah, we you can, get me Chick-fil-A, I'll talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, it, and, and it's just, you know, just, again, building and then providing mentorship sure. and, and helping these kids understand that, you know, you do have a choice. You have a choice every day, every day. Some some things, some choices are tougher than others, but you do have a choice and you have a voice. So, you know, we, we want, want them to understand that. And when you have a question, please come to us. Ask. So how could someone reach you if they have a question? Yeah. Where so would they, they contact? They can, they can call us at our office. Our number is 614-645-4642. That's our recruiting office. And then uh, they can also email us at jobs at columbuspolice.org. Okay. 825 yes, after four years. That sounds... That yeah. sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. So, well, thank you for... Yes, uh, thank you so thank much. Thank you for the jog over here from headquarters and <laughs> getting yourself all lathered up before you sat down. We appreciate We can that. vouch. He, he does live by his own health rules. <laughs> yeah, he, he jogged. I mean, it, that's not... What is that? Um, from headquarters? It's, yeah, it's pretty... It, it's probably about a mile, right? Yeah. Nah, I, I don't know. I don't think it's... I don't know. But don't you got... Know. You, you can had, take you an had, electric scooter back. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That would be awesome. I appreciate it. Man. Yeah, thank no, we appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we just want to thank Sergeant Christopher Smith Hughes for joining us again today. And don't forget, we love to hear from our listeners. So please check us out on our Facebook page at Facebook slash group slash the other side podcast, all one word. And you can also reach us on Twitter at other side underscore POD. And you can email us too at other side mailbox at gmail.com. So I just wanted to add uh, if y'all could go, people can go check out the website. And we got a Facebook page as well. Our okay. website is uh, www.columbus.gov backslash police hyphen recruitment i just wanted to throw that in there all right make sure you guys go check out that page and uh, until the next time try to see things from the other side thanks just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.